there there are moments of self-awareness too like the, when they meet again the the argument that i think elliot deploys is that we're older now we're wiser now um so we'll be able to control these <laughs> these moments of <laughs> of uh, recklessness um now we discover that's mostly not true Hello and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back to a still very early season five, everybody. We are only two episodes in, really only one episode in. This is the beginning yeah. of episode two. We're only 30 <laughs> seconds or so in episode two. So right. we're, we're like 1.015 or something like that. A, in. a tiny it, fraction. It grows every second that we waste time on this particular <laughs> subject. <laughs> Uh, welcome back, everybody. We're excited to have you. Uh, if you joined us last week, you know that we started season five in a different way than we've started the other seasons. We did not talk about a Lynn Nottage play, but we had a fruitful, interesting conversation about a really unique play, a play that in some ways is playing with new forms, in some ways is pulling from old forms and creating a really unique theatrical experience. Fairview by Jackie Sibley's Drury was the subject of our conversation last week. Really interesting, really cool play. I'd really, really love to see it. Really love to be a part of that theatrical experience sometime. Today, we are talking about a play that is is just about the most opposite of Fairview <laughs> yeah. that you could possibly imagine. We're really turning the hourglass to the other side and, and going into a different type of play. We've gone almost a hundred years into the past, not quite, but pretty darn close to a hundred years yeah, into the past, and we've transitioned from sort of this new form experimental feature into one of the classic models of theater. And there's so many other ways that the script is opposite. But today we are talking about <laughs> Noel Coward's famous, famous play, Private Lives. Yes, Private Lives, uh, subtitled An Intimate Play, or at least in my version of the, yeah. the play. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going going back to one of the classics, as Jacob said, this is a play that is often done in, in many houses all around. It was very famous in its time, got many different, a couple different movies made of it, or full stage recordings made of it, and can continues to have uh, more and more done. So I'm excited to get to jump into talking about it. Um, before we do, though, I do want to say thank you to all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash no script podcast. Um, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that we while we love doing the show, we love having these conversations with each other and with all of you out there in Internet land. Alas, it is not a free endeavor. And uh, the best way that you can help us out, help no script continue cranking out these great conversations for you all is to head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast. Um, if, when you get over there, you'll find a number of different tiers of membership. For as little as $1, you can be helping out the show immensely. And at that $1 amount, you unlock uh, some cool features. You get access to patron-only posts um, and early access to what plays we're, we're going to be doing through the month. So you can be reading along with the show. So if you're looking for a way to help out the podcast, to be a part of No Script Podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast, and we will see you over there. 
Thank you so much to everybody that is supporting us over there. And if you're not yet, we hope that you will. So, uh, yeah, please head over there. I'll just echo Jackson's encouragement and then say, now back to the script. Back to the script we go. Noel Coward, uh, we have not talked about a Noel Coward play thus far. He's got several pretty famous plays. Hay Fever, Present Laughter are both among his more popular scripts. Private Lives, though, Far and Away by Leaps and Leaps and Bounds is his most famous play. It's one of the like preeminent famous plays in theater. It is so famous, so well known that it has permeated into the culture. And even if you've never read it and truly couldn't even tell you what, you know, if you couldn't even right now say this is what Private Lives is about, you recognize some of the material that's in it. If you say to a theater person or someone that knows the bulk of theater work pretty well, you say to them, what, what, you know, this, we're going to do the balcony scene. You probably first think you're talking about Romeo and Juliet. But then if you say not Romeo and Juliet, the next thing is Private Lives. This is the second most famous balcony scene (laughs) of all time. And if that's not something really special that that Noel Coward could put on his resume. (laughs) He wrote the second most famous balcony scene of all time. Elliot and Amanda are one of the most famous theatrical couples of all time. Some of the quips and jokes from the play have, have just worked their way into the humor of other stage shows. It was first uh, uh, produced in 1930. Uh, Noel Coward lived a really interesting life in and around that whole time period that he was writing. Um, He was an actor and director and playwright and famous songwriter. The song that comes from this show, Someday I'll Find You, is among his most famous songs. Um, He did work for the British military during World War II, which kind of shocked the world. He was sort of this out there, flamboyant, fashionable character in English life. And then when World War II came around, he went to work for the government, for the military, doing propaganda and espionage. He was actually on the Nazi blacklist. So if uh, if they had been invaded, he would have been one of the people tried and executed for <laughs> crimes against the Nazi government. He's written on the list with Virginia Woolf and all the others. Um, he did not discuss this publicly really ever in his whole life. But he's a well-known kind of closeted homosexual man because of the time period that he was living in. He really couldn't have had a public life if that had been something that was known. But it, it is now, now that he's dead and gone and, and society has moved on, we can look back and see that part of his life there as well. Um, Private Lives, again, premiered in 1930 at the King's Theater in Edinburgh. It actually was directed by Noel Coward and starred Noel Coward. Uh, Mr. Coward played... Elliot and his longtime friend Gertrude Lawrence played Amanda. Uh, Lawrence Olivier played uh, um, uh, Victor. I, I don't know why I was stumbling to come up with Victor, but there it is. Victor, and they all went on to do that in on Broadway in 1931. Those three reprised their roles. It's been revived so many times on Broadway in the West End since then. Six Broadway revivals since 1931, just here in America. Um, Tammy Grimes won a Tony Award for her 
her performance as Amanda in 1969. Maggie Smith was in a production in 1972 at the Queen's Theater, which transferred to Broadway in 75, and she was nominated for a Tony. Uh, 1983, one of the famous, famous productions with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton was on Broadway. In 2001, Alan Rickman and Lindsay Duncan were in a production that transferred to Broadway in 2002 and won a Tony Award for Best Revival. You can find clips of that production on YouTube. If you've never seen Alan Rickman do anything besides Snape and Die Hard, you need to see. Watch those (laughs) clips. Watch other things that Alan Rickman's done. That guy was an incredible actor. He he really is incredible. And watching the clips of this play, watching him bring this sort of quippy intellectual humor into real humanity and life is something astounding. He was an incredible actor. And if if all you know him from is Snape and Die Hard, you are really missing out. (laughs) That dude had some chops. 2010, it was revived at the Vaudeville Theater in London. Also in 2010, there was a BBC radio production starring Helena Boehm Carter and Bill Nye. Jackson said he listened to some clips of that one. It was quite fun. So it's it's everywhere. It's still done everywhere at every level of theater. It is it's funny. It has. stood the test of time. It is going to be listed on that list of famous plays for a long, long time. Absolutely. Yeah. It it almost like it it picks up some of the, the, uh, the baton from plays like importance of being earnest and, and plays from, you know, a a generation or two. I don't know exactly how long there is between them, but, uh, that, that, that style of play carries on through in in private lives. And that genre too. I mean, it's a both, 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 Private Lives and The Importance of Being Earnest are comedies of manners. Um, they're very different comedy of manners, yeah. but they're in that same genre. And the other thing that I that I should say before we move into the synopsis is that Private Lives has had some controversy when it was first created and, and started being in the world of theater being produced because it was deemed sort of inappropriate. The whole act two shows Elliot and Amanda, who, as Jackson's about to tell are not married to each other in fact married to other people in they, they it's not like their sexual relationship is shown on stage but it's pretty frankly talked about yeah. on stage and uh, um Noel Coward was wearing like uh like a basically a bathrobe or I guess what, what would you call that for a guy like a dressing a gown dressing gown or, yeah dressing yeah. gown on stage as show, you know sort of showing his intimates um <laughs> for the time of course <laughs> right right but that so that that created some controversy when the play was first put out there and and actually Noel Coward had to go sort of plead the case for his play and promise that he would do the act too in a very tasteful manner to even get it allowed to move forward in productions. Yeah, that and that act two is 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 just like a fascinating. <laughs> uh, 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 it pushes envelopes in a lot of ways, especially for 1930s Britain. Well, and it um, pushed that envelope then, right? This idea that there's this couple that's unmarried, married to other people, engaged in this long-standing sexual relationship, living with each other, all of this stuff, which was really controversial in 1931, and that's just like par for the course of romantic comedies nowadays. <laughs> right, right. But all of the domestic <laughs> abuse and violence was just like par for the course in 1931. Right, yeah. And nowadays it's like, what is happening? Oh, we my. can't put this on stage. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, I'm going to synopsize it real quick before we get into too many of the, the details that kind of make that, that especially act two, uh, a, a really complicated and, and I think pretty funny act. Um, the, the play takes place in France uh, th- for the whole play, uh, but they are English characters. Um, the, the start of the play starts with uh, Elliot, Chase, and Sybil chase um they are on their honeymoon in a small town in france i don't believe it's really specifically said which small town um but they are at a hotel with a famous balcony um the balcony uh the balcony (laughs) the balcony Um, of the second most famous balcony scene that balcony (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm talking about that one um Uh, interestingly, the balcony is a very shared balcony. That's an important set element for this. Um, it's it's uh, it combines two rooms essentially. So there's you see French doors to one room on stage right, another one on stage left, and they both share the same balcony. That's important. Um, Elliot and Sybil have a bit of uh, kind of sharing of pleasantries back and forth, and it comes up very quickly that Sybil uh, is curious around how much better she is than Elliot's uh, past wife. Um, uh, they, it comes clear that Elliot has divorced his uh, wife, or they are divorced in some way. Um, and uh, this is his second marriage, whereas Sybil's, it's Sybil's first. So she's uh, anxiously comparing herself to uh, who we discover is Amanda. Um, uh, we, we get the name Amanda quite early. Eventually, Elliot and Sybil go off, and uh, two other characters come on from the other set of French doors. And they are Victor and... Amanda, um, who we, we piece dun, together very dun, dun. <laughs> We uh, begin to piece together very quickly that this is the aforementioned Amanda. Um, and a very similar conversation ensues. We discover that Victor is pretty wrapped up in her previous marriage as well and is anxious to uh, kind of show off his uh, verve against uh, Elliot. <laughs> um, he's a very kind of stuffy, lord, lordly person, um, a bit upper crust and uh, <laughs> quite British. And uh, so uh, they have another conversation and they head out. Um then uh, uh, the scene progresses. Elliot brings out drinks for him and Sybil, and Amanda brings out drinks for her and Victor. And eventually, they kind of turn around on the balcony and realize that they are there together for the first time in we discover later, I believe, five years. This is the first time they've seen each other since the divorce. So much shenanigans ensue. Both of them try to get their partners to leave the hotel right away, With but don't really, especially Elliot doesn't really want to tell Sybil that Amanda is there. Um, so there's there's a bit of uh, contention around that. Sybil storms off, Victor storms off to go eat supper, and uh, Amanda and Elliot are left on the balcony to uh, find each other again. And they do. They discover that they are still uh, to some degree in love with each other and hatch a brilliant plan to leave their newly wedded partner this is both of their honeymoons. I don't know if I said that specifically, but very freshly married and just bad luck put them in the same hotel on their honeymoons. No, um, it was fate. It was, it was Cupid. Fate. It was destiny. <laughs> <laughs> they find each other again and and decide to run off. So they do. Uh, they jump into a car with a little bit of luggage and head out. Um, we, the last part of Act One is Sybil and Victor running in. Um, trying to find both of their respective partners and not being able to. And instead, they find each other um, on the balcony and they share a drink. And uh, they, they basically, we get like a one page with them and they're starting to talk to each other. 
Then we leave them for basically a whole act, and we go to Paris. After some time has passed, we know that uh, uh, Amanda has an apartment in Paris, and uh, what follows is this act two that we've been talking about. It's the two of them uh, kind of in comfortable attire, clearly having not left the apartment in days together, um, and uh, they are... They are uh, yeah, just kind of uh, romantically living together in this apartment. And, and thus the controversy, right? You say, well, they've not left the apartment in days. <laughs> they are recently uh, refound each other, and they've not left the apartment in days, right. if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and arriving... There's nothing subtle about it. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's very obvious. Noel Coward is just taking, like, all of this stuff that would have been sort of under the surface of the society at the time about like what it means to be in a newly uh, passionate relationship. Right, right, and right. He does the sex part off stage, thank the Lord, but he does the <laughs> uh, the talking about the sex and talking about the intimacy and all that very much on stage. And yeah. that there would there's a shocking element to that, especially for 1931. And even nowadays, it like it's a li- I mean, it's that's a pretty intimate act too, even for a lot of stages now. Yeah, absolutely. Hence the an intimate play subtitle. Um, in this scene, we see what uh, Amanda and Elliot's marriage and love life is like. It's uh, both both very amorous and very contentious. Um, they 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 fight as many times as they uh, are are loving each other. Um, and. Uh, Notably, I forgot to mention a brief, just a small thing from Act 1. They've set a safe word for themselves this time. They've set a word that they will say when they know that they are fighting to the point that they are bickering and are falling into their old habits as before. Because in Act 1, we learn from the way that Amanda tells the story to Victor, her new husband, and Elliot tells the story to Sybil, his new wife, that their marriage was miserable. That they were fighting all the time, they hated each other as much as they liked each other, and they just drove each other absolutely insane to the point of needing to split up and eventually divorce. So we learned that that was what their life was like, and then they're now together again, so they set that safe word to try to avoid that. Right. And they deploy it, I think, two or three times in Act Two, um, to to various uh, effects, um, because uh, the, their pattern of kind of love each other, love each other, fight about, fight about, fight about, and they just kind of can't stop themselves. Essentially, they're kind of just like ids. Uh, uh, their it is running rampant uh, in their relationship, and they're just feeding off of each other. The the Act Two, without getting into specifics, because I'm sure we'll spend time in Act Two later. Um, the Act ends with a final blow up between the two of them that kind of comes to some physical blows uh, from that does come to physical blows from both of them which is uh, left again left over from the the last relationship we learned that at least Amanda claims that um, Elliot hit her in their previous relationship and she also acknowledges that she like broke records over his head and hit him back frequently so we know that there is a some degree of physical violence against each other already in the relationship and it devolves to there by the end of the act the apartment is 
rummaged about very very a lot of things are destroyed and into the room as as the fight is happening uh, into the room walks uh sybil and victor uh conveniently a little bit finding them at this apartment and and kind of entering in the midst of this fight which uh dissolves in front of them both the characters storm off into their rooms uh both uh, amanda and elliot and sybil and victor are kind of left there in the empty room Act three is the aftermath. Um, the, the next day happens. It's clear that Victor and Sybil are there to confront Elliot and Amanda and get some sort of closure or a way forward. And then there's some rivalry that springs up as well. Um, Victor and Sybil, I think, both love their respective partners, Elliot and Amanda. Um, the, the, the feeling is maybe not reciprocated, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, they both dearly love them and uh, are willing to go to, to uh, significant lengths to try to make something work, and in Victor's case, to uh, be sure he's doing the uh, upright and honorable thing. Um, uh, the But what uh, ends up happening is uh, between the, all of them, they come to the agreement that they're going to stay together, that Elliot and Sybil will stay together for a year, kind of a trial period, and Victor and Amanda will stay together for a little while so that Amanda can divorce, divorce Victor and in the time she'd be better off in society as a result of it. Um, that that uh, takes us to the last two pages of the script. And in the last two pages of the script, they all sit down to breakfast having resolved this. And essentially, Elliot and Amanda stir the pot enough <laughs> to the point that uh, Sybil and Victor end up in a, an incredibly contentious fight with each other um, that does come to more physical violence by the end of the play. But from both of them, they both end up either throwing things or shaking each other or hitting each other. Um, and uh, Amanda and Elliot kind of once again discover their their kind of chaotic love for each other and sneak off as this fight is happening suitcases in hand talking about travel recently and uh and head out the door and curtain falls <laughs> <laughs> and that is private lies there you go if you've even if you've never read the play or seen it there are the elements of that play have worked their way into so much of modern drama and yeah. there's references allusions to it all over the place what is that about jackson let's do what we usually do last first today before we dive into some more script analysis what in the world has caused this play to last 90 years <laughs> and be just as popular as anything in the world of theater besides perhaps the plays of william shakespeare yeah yeah some of it is certainly the writing it's 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 real good writing the banter back and forth is just so so snappy so quick um you, you, you and and really define like each of these characters are pretty archetypal um but then are kind of perfectly executed in their archetypeness. Um, if, if you're going to lean into an archetype, you have to do it very well to make them an interesting character. And I think Coward does, obviously, uh, Coward does that quite well in this. He, he presents four archetypal people, these, these two kind of free spirits in Amanda and Elliot, who were, were married for a time and just had too much passion between them to stay together, so they divorced. And they find each other again on a, on a moonlit night on a balcony in Paris, right? Uh, both married to their, uh, their rebound marriages. And um, <laughs> like, it's just like, what's not timeless and unifying about this story? And there's a lot of things that's what? not timeless what? and unifying about this 
story. But <laughs> but it's it's very archetypal and and has a lot of access to a a significant portion of uh, Western theater. <laughs> yeah, and it's just I mean it's it's entertaining, right? It's it's hilarious. The the as you said, the writing is really clever and quick, which leads to some incredible jokes, jokes that make you just laugh out loud even reading it. And then you've got this whole level of situational comedy that is so built on dramatic irony. You know, I mean, that first scene, we watch Elliot tell Sybil all about his terrible, terrible marriage with Amanda that's all her fault and how cruel it all was. And then they go off. And then on comes Amanda. <laughs> and so we we already have dramatic irony. We know what she doesn't, that Elliot's in the next room. But she tells her husband, Victor, all about their terrible marriage and how awful Elliot was and da 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 <laughs> <laughs> and they leave. And then they both come on stage and their backs are to each other. And we know what they don't. I mean, this, the the theatrical experience of being an audience with that higher level of knowledge could not be more than it is in Act yeah. 1. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And just just the, the, the like... Yeah, all all the stuff that we get to be behind the back of someone holding information, we get to we get to be on the inside of so much and just watch it all play out in front of us. It's just it, it's fun to figure out what's going to happen before it happens, and it doesn't diminish what ends up happening. <laughs> like in some ways, you kind of know know the 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 path of this script as soon as they you realize that Amanda's there. Um, and, 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 and so the, the, the ride that you go on is nonetheless enjoyable, despite the fact that you kind of see it coming from a ways off. Right. Yeah. There's nothing surprising in this play. There's no tricks. I don't think there's, there's no major twists. There's no points where you go, what? What you see is this delicately wound system of gears that he's put in place with these four people, and then he just sets them going, and the the plot follows much as you would imagine, and so the the experience of being along for the ride has to be strong enough to allow the audience to get over the fact that there's not really any intrigue. And so it's a credit to Noel Coward that the experience of the ride is so stinking funny so stinking entertaining, so stinking well-written that you get over the fact that there's nothing to predict or no mystery to unfold at all. I think the, the, the other reason is because he's written two extremely strong characters in Elliot and Amanda. Um, I think that the playability of these characters continues to be exciting for actors. It continues to be exciting for audiences. Just, I mean, this is, I forget which play we talked about this before, but this is a play where you go to see how this actor is portraying Elliot and Amanda. Like, that's that's the a reason to go to this show is like, oh, so-and-so is going to be doing Amanda. So I want to see so-and-so and what they're going to bring to this to this role. Because they're so, they're so strong and so both uh the the polarity of them right like the magnetism that they have but then as soon as the magnet flips they're just like pushed apart from each other and and that's a really interesting act two is just such an interesting act for actors to approach and for audiences to watch and it it's interesting because as characters they don't have especially clear goals like in the typical dramatic sense we're not as obviously watching them try to achieve something. In some ways, the play is sort of reactive. 
They just sort of respond to what's happening. Now, if you're going to be the actor, the director, the production team, you're going to have to find what the forward-moving goals are and the tactics to achieve those goals. But that's not quite the experience that the audience has, I don't think. And it works out because the, the humor keeps you rolling. And what mystery there is is not in plot but in character instead. Noel Coward has invested the relationship of Elliot and Amanda with a whole bunch of mystery. I mean, you 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 experience the play in part to experience what the heck is up with these two, <laughs> and and you don't get like st- strictly truthful things either. Like there's there's a couple conflicting reports. Like uh, often you will hear Sybil or Victor speaking about what Amanda or Elliot has told them about Amanda or Elliot. And the, the the accounts often conflict. Often, the you know, it's clear that they both blame each other for for what happened in their last marriage. They both criticize each other for being drunk often in their previous marriage. So there's clearly like lies happening, and and this kind of this this inf- I like what you said. This kind of like figuring out of information between the two of them, and and trying to pull apart what's actually happening and what happened before. So what do you th- I mean what do you think why do these two people have such affection for each other when they drive <laughs> each other so stinking nuts I, I you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean this this I, this feels a little trite but I think it is just a an a, like a love attraction I think that these people just fell in love and they're the type of they're like sevens on the Enneagram. Um, <laughs> they just have like this, this energy that they want to, to push towards each other. They fall madly in love with each other. And that, that love um, pushes out and, and controls them. And so when they join, when they come back into the same room as each other or to the same balcony as each other, it's like, it's a love conquers all sort of thing. Like it just happens to them. I like what you were saying about them reacting. It, it's kind of, this energy that they can't avoid. They're just, they just love each other. <laughs> yeah. There, there is this, there's this subconscious magnetism of some sort between them. And it, is it somewhat of an opposites attract thing? Sure. They, they're very different people and they have very different outlooks on life and that causes them to be attracted to each other in some way. So there's some of that and there's some of uh, some of its lust, I think. Some of it is sheer romance, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's it's worth. I think I think you're right on too. There is there is certainly an aspect of it that is lust for each other. They're both noted as very attractive people. Um, they both have this kind of wildness and and freedom of experience that they're feeding energy off of through the whole time. Um, it's just eventually they come to opposed purposes on on what they expect from uh from their their really their freedom. I think both of them want to be free, but want to be together. So that's, that's part of their conflict through act two is discovering, Oh, you were that free when we weren't together. How can, <laughs> how can we be together when we want to be that free? So uh, the conception that Noel Coward creates of a relationship of uh, a marriage an attraction, all of this stuff 
does not seem to be very positively painted from that, right? Because it's not just Elliot and Amanda that are somehow this wild couple caught up in this very strange thing. He puts Victor and Sybil into the same fairy situation at the end of the play. So there's some sort of commentary being made on, or some sort of conception being crafted of love, of relationship, of romance. And it seems sort of desolating, sort of, of so, sort of tragic in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it is interesting. Like the uh, essentially the the um, the amount of time you spend with someone, eventually it will fall apart. Um, now, now for for Victor and Sybil, that was like a couple days, and they were just kind of co-conspirators and trying to get their partners back. Yeah, but they're not really <laughs> in a relationship. I don't yeah. think. I, I suppose it's possible to to put that onto the text to, to play that but i don't think it's what noel coward intended yeah yeah but but yeah so uh, event i think the, the the time aspect of of amanda and elliot is what ends up keeping them apart like they can suffer each other while they're feeling the emotions but as soon as as soon as any sort of commitment happens again this play is over the course of a couple days so it it devolves quickly and um and as soon as it does there they they switch back to old patterns to to this this again this polarity that pushes them apart so there is that aspect of the, you know, <laughs> love does not conquer all in the end, necessarily. <laughs> Man, it, or it might almost be the opposite. Like, no matter how messed up your relationship is, <laughs> if you, I'm doing air quotes here, you can't see me, love each other, it'll all be okay in the end. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You can't, a relationship like that, if it were real, I mean, he's he's written <laughs> in a heightened, exaggerated, I, I, I seriously doubt there are that many couples out there who are getting into fist fights with each other on a nightly basis <laughs> and, and still have what seems to be, in their better moments, a positive, healthy relationship. Right. But Noel Coward has imagined that for comic's sake, for, for comedy's sake, for exaggeration's sake. And so, you know, it, it's just not, that, that, that relationship could not go on. <laughs> but it seems like that's how the play ends is that it's going to go on. Well, and it seems they seem to there there are moments of self-awareness too. Like the, when they meet again the the argument that I think Elliot deploys is that we're older now, we're wiser now. Um so we'll be able to control these <laughs> these moments of <laughs> of uh, recklessness. Um now we discover that's mostly not true. Um that there's 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 very little expectation in my mind that they will manage to dis distract themselves to a degree that this relationship will be able to continue past, you know, another week on a train travel trip. <laughs> right. I totally agree. I mean, I don't see them staying together. So what does that say about how Noel Coward views love? Like <laughs> these two people are married to other people, and both of them think that if they had stayed in those relationships, those relationships would have lasted to the end of their life. Yeah. You know, they would have been long-standing, fairly happy marriages. Both Elliot and Amanda are on the same page that if they had stayed in those marriages, that's what would have happened. But both of them also agree that they were not really in love with those people, 
and that they are really in love with each other, a relationship which is doomed to be violent and <laughs> fail. I mean, what does that say about a conception of what love really is? Yeah, no, it's it's like a tragic, it's, yeah, it's... It's a it's 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 kind of just to tie it back to Romeo and Juliet again. Um, it's it's like a tragedy, <laughs> a tragic love story that no one dies at the end, right? Like like you have you have the 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 passion of these two, but it's not a sustainable passion. It's not one that can that can be supported. And and it and I think you're right on with the they describe these other relationships as very functional. <laughs> they would be able to, to, to last them. They would not be alone. Essentially. Um, they would right. have this and, kind and of, and actually there's a really great little bit of writing that Noel Coward does in act one, where in both of the separate conversations that Elliot and Amanda have with their spouse. So Elliot with Sybil and Amanda with Victor, they both have a variation on this idea, which is, your your other marriage was really violent and crazy, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. But you love me in a different way, don't you? Yes, I do. In a calmer, more rational, less passionate way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Essentially, a, you're fine. Um, <laughs> well, like, yeah, it's it's I mean it even seems like a consolation prize. Like yeah. the way that they talk about this new love uh, quote unquote love is basically even in that initial act, it even feels like they're trying to put a positive spin on the idea that I'm not really all that passionate about you. You're just sort of a calmer person. So yeah. this might last longer. And it's perhaps that passion that is ultimately Elliot and Amanda's failure. It's impossible to sustain passion at that level for any length of time. And so if it's not lustful, sexual, romantic passion, then it's got to switch to be a different kind of passion because you can't sustain that 100% of the time. So it becomes angry, argumentative passion instead as just that's the way the pendulum swings. Right, right. And it's and it's worth noting that that they the the relationships that they pursue as these kind of non-passionate relationships are let's see let's see all the descriptors I can throw at this um socio-normative archetypal ones <laughs> like uh, Amanda marries Victor who is some sort of like well-to-do person he's a rich older gentleman and kind um, of described as sort of like a man's man yeah a manly dude right right and um Victor, or I'm sorry, uh, Elliot marries uh, Sybil, who is like 23, something like somewhere around 10-ish years his his younger. Um, and so Which is an archetype in and of itself, right? Exactly. Marrying the younger pretty girl. And in the same way that Victor's sort of a man's man, she's sort of the most feminine, you know, stereotypically, specifically feminine that she could be. Like she doesn't want to get a suntan because it looks bad on women. Right, right. So 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 there's that aspect too where they're both trying on the other side of love as well and they discover they discover that doesn't work for them either um that they're they're ultimately not after happy. they marry them <laughs> after they married them <laughs> there's a great moment in act 2 where uh where Amanda, uh, Ellie, Amanda says something like, I, I wanted to try things out with Victor. Right. And Elliot was like, you did a little bit more than try. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
So, so yeah, I think what is being played at is this kind of suppression uh, or suppression of feelings and and playing with the two, the two, right? Can we suppress our feelings and have a hep, a happy life? There's my air quotes. Um, or is it better to let all of our our feelings out and live <laughs> live like a blaze of glory, but fight all the time and and maybe likely end up not together, likely end up alone? Yeah, I mean, the choice that Elliot and Amanda make is a choice of an a passionate relationship, which is, uh, because it's passionate, in equal parts romantic and beautiful and violent and terrible. They choose that passion over the sort of stability, heteronormativity of their, of their possible other partners. And there's a commentary being made there. In fact, lots of the analysis that has been done about private lives, and especially in more modern times, is uh, like gender and a queer analysis. Was Noel Coward, a well-known closeted homosexual, making some commentary on heterosexual relationships in general? Uh, maybe. He's definitely making commentary on gender for sure. There's, you know, there, there's this whole idea that uh, uh, Amanda is really upset because uh, a man should never strike a woman is something that she says, but she's the one that insinuates the violence, of course, later on in the play. There's this stuff about how Elliot is really upset that she was engaged in sexual activities uh, once their relationship ended. And she says, well, you did the same thing. And he says, well, uh, it's, it's worse on a woman. It, a woman shouldn't be promiscuous. It's a bad thing. And Amanda quips back something great like, it's bad for men if women are promiscuous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's there's definitely gender-level commentary happening here. And that's sort of what the comedy of manners, you know, it's a comedy of manners about relationships, especially new relationships, passionate relationships. And layered into that is these societal expectations of gender roles that Noel Coward has written to people who actively try to throw off. And yeah, that that keeps happening throughout the script. Elliot actively tries to like throw off the the, the gender role of of the the he's Victor tries to get him to fight him. Um, so there's this this scene where they keep keep taking their jackets on and off to like have this fisticuffs fight. And Elliot just over and over is like, "Oh, I'm so tired. That's are, are, am I am yeah, I actually well, that, standing up?" That's <laughs> a great this? example, right? Because Victor's this sort of man's man, and his instinct from the beginning of the play is to beat Elliot up if he ever sees him at the beginning beginning of the play it's because oh you had this terrible husband who hit you and you was making you miserable and if i see him i'm gonna kick his butt and then later in the play it's because oh you stole amanda back from me and so they meet in the apartment and victor is intent on having this fight and elliot has to engage in this whole series of different tactics to avoid the fight some of which is to claim that it's unnecessary he has this whole great thing about like what good is this going to do if we fight you hit me i'm going to hit you you're going to hit me we're going one of us we're going to beat each other up to one of is unconscious and what's really going to be better about that i mean it's very much a departure from the idea that like men fight when we're angry at each other and that commentary is made right elliot's accused of being a coward because he won't fight victor yeah yeah and and it's it just over and over that that kind of keeps happening um through the play and it's and it's just interesting to see I th this maybe draws us to an interesting question of like whose play is it it's obvious there is some obviousness in it, but um, just just like watching, especially uh, Elliot and Amanda navigate these 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 norms and how they're trying to break 
from from th- those who are trying to hold them to it, Victor and Sybil, but then also each other and and the the kind of unknown biases that they have that come up when they're when they're butting heads with each other. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that a lot of romantic comedies have this, it's very hard to pick one of the two between Elliot or Amanda. They have almost equal stage time, if not exactly equal stage time. They have exactly equal weight in the drama. The protagonist is really their relationship in some sort of (laughs) odd way. And I suppose there's a way to pick between them, but I don't have a good way right now. Right. Yeah. No, I think I, I think you're right. I, I like the kind of metaphysical uh, protagonist of the we're, we're here to watch the relationship and see if it succeeds or not. And, and what sort of hijinks they'll get into as it succeeds. So one of the early reviews of the script uh, from an old paper that's now changed to a new paper called the Manchester Guardian. Anyway, they comment this. The audience evidently found it a good entertainment, but Mr. Coward certainly had not flattered our intelligence. The play appears to be based on the theory that anything will do, provided that it be neatly done. And this criticism has existed through the life of the play. It's very funny, but there's not much to it. What's your take hmm. on that, Jackson? <laughs> I mean, to some degree, yes. I mean, we're, we're doing our normal thing of like digging deep into... <laughs> Trying to figure out, you know, big themes that are underneath all this. Um, it is, it is a good time though. Like it is, like you could just watch this play and just be like, ah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> you you don't need to be instructed by it, but I I I think it might be a little easy to say that there's nothing there to be drawn out. I Especially think, these- given how long the plays lasted, right? There's a lot yeah. of stupid comedies that we've left in the dustbin of history. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it ties again to the the depth of these characters and what they're what they're willing to push themselves to to pursue this passion. Um, just the 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 uh, the the push and pull between them, especially of of Amanda and Elliot, and and what they're what they're willing to suffer <laughs> to be together because because they have this this. Uh, this uh, draw, this magnetism to each other that that they're not willing to part with, but they're also unable to live with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it as we talked about sort of at the beginning, the intrigue of what is the secret of this relationship? What is the purpose of this relationship? Why would you ever pick a relationship like this over the perfectly stable, calm, you know, slightly less than passionate, but seemingly happy relationships that they have with their other partners? There's that part of it that has existed forever. There's the incredibly high-level comic writing, incredible delivery of jokes. And then there is the the reality that this play is an actor especially a comic actors gold mine the characters are begging to be brought to life by good comic actors yeah absolutely and 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 ones that like want to want to play with like physicality on stage, want to figure out how to embody their character. These are very embodied characters. <laughs> um, you, you have to figure, and from a stage perspective, there, it is an intimate play. There are moments when they're close. There are moments like you got to figure out how to play these moments well to to a big house, you know? And and I mean, just, just that's an interesting puzzle. It's a puzzle to try to try to grapple with, and it's it's fun for actors to approach. Fun for the the back and forth to exist. 
So at the end of the play, we've mentioned that um, that Elliot and Amanda sneak off. They leave Victor and Sybil arguing in a in a whole fisticuffs situation. This moment is a classically Noel Coward moment. He ends lots of plays with the protagonist sneaking off. Uh, Hay Fever and Present Laughter, his other two major plays that are still popular, both end that way. So what does that do for you, Jackson? I mean, why make that some sort of device of a playwright? Like, I am Noel Coward, and I like my protagonist to sneak off at the end of the play. Why? <laughs> um... There's 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 a, a living aspect to it that I like. Um, you you kind of get the feeling that that the story continues, right? Like you you it it's it provides a way for this this play to kind of last through the dinner conversation that happens afterwards. You ask questions. You ask questions like we're asking, like, well, what's really gonna happen though? Like they seem chummy at the end of this. Are they really going to be able to make it through international travel together? Maybe, maybe it'll distract them enough. That's the sort of thing that like happens when you don't bow tie the end of a play um that that when you leave it open when you don't get a final soliloquy from the character that you've been following for a long time you get to live in the world a little bit longer you get to pretend a little bit longer and kind of put yourself into the world yeah what, what i like about it is that it makes those final moments of a play let's use this play as our example in in private lives it makes those final moments a decision that is still to be made by the protagonist because the play could end before that and that would be a play ending with elliot and amanda deciding not to continue their relationship they're too unhappy together but they're all their other relationships have also been ruined by the bad choices that they've made but then in those final few pages Noel coward writes another decision decision of the protagonist, a decision that reverses the decision that they'd made previously. And no matter what context you put it in, the decision to sneak off at the end of the play is always <laughs> going to be a decision. Something right. that has to have been a choice, that has to have been made by the central characters to do something. And it's a choice to go somewhere, a choice to go somewhere together or not together, as the case may be. In this specific situation, the them sneaking off together is a conclusion of the story that we've been following, right? It's a decision to try to make the relationship work again for however long they're going to try. Right, right. And to continue being agents of chaos, right? Like partway <laughs> partway through this 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 breakfast, it becomes clear that they they realize what they're doing. At least Elliot does. Elliot is is pushing hard at Victor and Sybil to kind of get them annoyed enough to have this fight, and then they just like kind of sit back and enjoy the fight. <laughs> so so that story continues too. Like you wonder like clearly Victor doesn't strike me, at least, as the person who's going to let this go. Sybil, probably not either. So you almost imagine another Act 2 scene a couple weeks later in, I don't know, Mumbai or something, where, where this all happens again. Um, so all the characters continue on in their in their paths. Well, we've put it off long enough, Jackson. It's time to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> what do you do with all of the violence yeah. in this play? I I'm mean, anno I'm annoyed that wow. you beat me to that. <laughs> stick it with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's it's a real it's a real problem um, in the play that you have to deal with. Um, you know, this this play has these two uh, uh, very passionate characters who I think are the easier one to figure out a way to deal with. 
um, they are both violent to each other. And, and uh, the back and forth between them uh, is, is kind of tit for tat. Um, is is pretty you, you get the you get the sense you spend enough time with them that uh, that you're like this is this is a part of their relationship and it's messy and it's it's not something that either of them really likes about themselves or each other but it's there and they both they both use it against each other um so I, I think you can't really avoid that in this play um it's 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 played that way the one that's actually harder for me though is the the Sybil and Victor one which seems to just be played for the laugh at the end. Um, it's just like, oh, it's funny. We've degraded these two people to the point that they are coming to blows with each other. The, in fact, even the, uh, the, the line at the end, the stage direction, which is not binding in any way, but the stage direction in my script is uh, she, Sybil, slaps his victor's face hard, and he takes her by the shoulders and shakes her like a rat as Amanda and Elliot go smilingly out through the double doors and the curtain falls. What a stage trick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Now, now, I just wouldn't do that if I was directing the play. I'd have it devolve into, like, pillow throwing or something like that because you just can't... I, I just don't know how you end this play in, in our... In, in our our knowledge of sexual um, relationships and and abusive relationships, um, ending it with someone shaking someone like a rat. I'm sorry, <laughs> but there I think there are other ways that you can do less um, brutal fighting, less brutal violence in the play. But there are moments where slaps are called for. There are moments where you know records break over people's heads and bottles, you, it, lamps. Yeah, there's 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 a physical like a round the room fight that happens between Elliot and Amanda. Um, that's a, I mean again as I've said it's it's pushed on by both of them to some extent, but but it's 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 violent and it's it's messy. <laughs> Yeah, so what you're suggesting is one of the ways that people tend to deal with that in the script, which is to sort of de-escalate the violence. They don't hit each other as hard. It's a lot more wrestling than blows. Maybe a pillow is involved. That is one way. I did not ever see the Alan Rickman production, but from what I've read about it, they took a different path, which is to emphasize the darker parts of the play. I mean, another option is to say... The play's got a lot of funny stuff in it, but the violence is not the funny part. The violence is a real hard part of their relationship, and to try to balance the 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 terrible things that these people do to each other with the quippy intellectual humor that goes on in the other characters. That would certainly add some more of that that bite to the play, right? That we were talking about from the review that you read. Like if 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 it is just played for kind of a moment of drama where where the playing and the passion goes too far and the characters grapple with their mistakes and that this is a clear moment of mistake for them as they over and over return to I'm so frustrated with you that I have to hit you or I have to break something over you. Um yeah, that that would add a lot more a lot more teeth to to some of those scenes and and make you grapple with some yeah some grittier themes. And it depends on what you think Noel Coward is trying to say about relationship. It depends on what you and your production are trying to say about relationship. I mean, obviously, there's a version of this play that is a a fairly stringent critique of 
you know, you got to be careful about this level of passion. Sure, it can make a relationship really great in some ways, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But there's a lot of danger that comes from that that kind of emotion and that kind of failure of self-control. And in that way, then, the violence that they do to each other is the example of the dangerous consequences. Mm-hmm. I do. I do think again, though, that 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 works for uh, Elliot and Amanda. It's again harder for me with Victor and Sybil. Like I don't, I don't have that 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 line of reasoning through the play for Victor. Victor, I mean, I guess uh, no, no. I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. You could go and then psychoanalyze Victor's always needing to fight all the time, right? <laughs> Into that. <laughs> so there's opportunities for it there. It's I, I, it's I like I like kind of acknowledging it rather than trying to sweep it under the rug and play to moods that have have that have developed that humanity has developed a better mood around <laughs> violence. <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we've got for private lives today. Noel Coward has written his name in the theater lights for n- nearly a hundred years now and many, many more years to come, I would think. And Private Lives is just one of his great scripts. I actually like Hay Fever better, but Private Lives is definitely the more famous of them. We'll probably do another Noel Coward script sometime. I don't know. There's a lot of scripts out there. We got a lot to cover. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, I mean, this is an imminently producible play, right? Like you got two sets, one of which can be the balcony in front of your curtain, and the other one is the set behind the curtain. It's really producible. It's got great parts. It's got great kind of uh, flexibility in age as well. Um, um, you know, you, obviously this is a play kind of written for middle age actors, but there's some good flexibility there. So if you do this play, if you get the chance to read this play, if you've been in this play already or seen the play or like one of the movies, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and talk to us about it. We'd love to keep talking about Private Lives with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, the username at Podcast or our Gmail, noscriptpodcast uh, no at gmail.com. Hit us up on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about Noel Coward's Private Lives with you. Absolutely. If you'd like to recommend this podcast to your friends, that's a great way you can help us out. They can find it on Podbeam, where we're hosted, on Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. If you get connected with us on Facebook, we do post a link to the new episode every Monday on that Facebook account. So until next week, when we are talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. Bye. Bye.